And now another edition of Traveling with Paul Lasley and Elizabeth Harriman. Every edition of Traveling with Paul Lasley and Elizabeth Harriman airs weekdays on the American Forces Network in countries around the world. Each show is also available as a podcast at ontravel.com and at iTunes. Just use the keyword on travel. Here's Paul and Elizabeth. Today on Traveling, the inimitable Max Hartshorn joins us. And Max is, of course, editor of Go Nomad, gonomad.com. And uh, Max has been at World Travel Mark in London. But after that, he went to a place I have always wanted to go because it's really quirky. And that's the island of Guernsey. Max, welcome back to Traveling. Always great to be with you, Paul. Now, is is Guernsey quirky? It's well, that's a funny place. I was just saying, uh, it's it's quirky and it's and it's wonderful because it's quirky. It's little. It's um only about five miles wide, which is interesting. It's located about thirty miles off the coast of France, but yet it's most closely associated with England. Um, all people all talk like they're from England. And people sound like they're from England. They love going for walks, and they love Marmite, and they love dogs. But they're not English. They're Guernseymen. And make sure there's no mistake about that. They're Guernsey people. They're just like Canadians and Bermudians and other <laughs> people who live in those English provinces, which are used to be, I guess, they were associated with the crown, but today they're on their own, and they're on their own as far as defense goes, and that's probably why in World War II they were quickly uh, occupied by the Nazis, who thought they were a very strategic location, and uh, that's been a big part of the visiting of Guernsey is learning about these World War II sites, some of the gun emplacements and bunkers and signal communications that run by the Germans all because they were convinced that uh, this was an important strategic place and nobody ever fired any guns, but boy, they really were prepared on the island of Guernsey. <laughs> well, uh, of course, it, on a map, it looks like it would be strategic, but uh, and obviously other people thought that, but nothing really happened there. Is that right? <laughs> nothing ever happened there. No, what it was really, a, it was a horrible thing for the people who are from Guernsey. I mean, they basically, they, they had to ship most of their children had to be sent off of the island. They weren't allowed to go um, fishing, which is a big part of their economy. They weren't allowed to leave the island. It was very, uh, very oppressive. Um, the, some of the stories of they weren't even they, they put a barbed wire all over the beaches. They built these giant seawalls. Uh, they did a lot of stuff that was pretty bad, and you know there was nobody there to check them to keep them from you know from doing this stuff. They were just like crazy, crazy Nazi people. So it was horrible. And the, the most recent, the reason that Guernsey's on people's minds or has at least on the radar is the book, The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society, which you may not have heard of that, but it's a big, big thing in Guernsey. And it's a big thing in the United States. It's a very popular book. And now it's a Netflix movie. No, I, I have heard about it. And I've heard about the Netflix movie as well. Uh, but the, is there a potato peel society in Guernsey? Uh, no, that was a they were that, apparently that was an excuse that these folks uh, during the book were making when they were out. The Nazis caught them and they pretended that they were part of the society. So they made it up on the spot, made up that <laughs> crazy name. 
because the Nazis were chasing them. So, yeah, I guess you have to read the book to get the details. But it's really it's a fascinating story about about, um, you know, uh, success and uh, failure and uh, occupation and terrible. But the funny thing is now you get German tourists that come to the Guernsey and love it. And, you know, of course, that's just the funny thing about Europe. You know, these people were at each other's throats in the 1940s and now they're you know they're visiting each other's countries and going down to the germans come to visit the bunkers and reminisce about the old days and huh. it's everything's all jolly but it certainly wasn't jolly back in the 1940s no it was a very serious time well yeah i speaking of that i remember being in singapore years ago and uh, they had opened uh, oh it was an island where you could there was a, like a museum uh, that showed a very modern museum showed the occupation and the Japanese and all of this and I never forget watching tour groups Japanese tour groups going through this museum watching these pictures of World War II on Sony television sets and thinking <laughs> the world has changed you know <laughs> it really is you know we're such a it's such a basically just we're a one big, uh, you know, we're, we're one big, one big all together. And, you know, back then we were so divided. And it's good to see that the Germans coming to visit Guernsey. You know, it, it, people love Guernsey. In fact, one of the things I learned about Guernsey was people oftentimes come and then come back. They, they, they you know, they grow up in Guernsey and they move away and they go to college or whatever. And I talked to three or four people who said that their children had come back to live on the island and it's really appealing. And that was neat to hear that, that they were getting people coming back and they were not just abandoning this tiny little island. There's a great finance, now that this financial thing is happening, there's all kinds of trust companies. There's really good jobs on the island and there's it's a great way of life. It's very peaceful, it's relaxing. You can, you can walk all the way around the whole island which is amazing to me. You can you can actually take a, a walk all around, and you know the the English love to walk, so that's perfect. And these windy windy beaches are just beautiful. You can see the photographs that I published on my website, gonomad.com. There's a whole feature story about Guernsey. You can enjoy some of the photos and just get a taste for what it looks like. Well, actually, we'll link to that as well, and it's very informative. Um, you mentioned the the taxes, and uh, I've read about Guernsey. You know, in the Financial Times, there are usually ads or something like that, and it's tax havens. They've sort of gotten away from that term, but basically Guernsey is one of those places that wealthy people put money sometimes. Exactly. Is, are there, is, I remember like going to the Cayman Islands the first time, and there were nothing but banks. I mean, it was, you know, in the main town there, all it was was banks. It was just unreal. Is Guernsey like that? Yeah, uh, well, Guernsey is like that. I mean, the, the downtown is filled with banks and financial institutions and, and you know, trust companies and stuff. And it's interesting, too, because the way the government works there, um, it's very interesting. It goes back to the Norman times. You know, this was a Norman-governed island. So the law that they practice on Guernsey is actually Norman law, partially Norman law. And the head of the government, again, it's called the state's. Because there's a couple other islands. There's um, Aldersley and there's Herm and there's Sark, these small islands. So the, together, the islands are all called the States of Guernsey. And it's a bailiwick. And the head of the government is the bailiff. He's the boss. The bailiff is oh. the head of the whole thing. And then there's the governor. 
Um, so you have the bailiff and the governor are the the, the main sort of main people. Um, and it's very interesting. But yeah, all over the, the main drag and there's high rises. And, but there really isn't. I say there's no high rises. What they say is that Jersey is where all the high rises are. And there's no love lost between these two small islands. They, they don't like Jersey at all. There's a real definite feeling of like, don't go to Jersey. Guernsey's way better because Jersey <laughs> has things like McDonald's and high rises and six flights a day on Ryanair. Whereas Jer Guernsey has its own airline. It's called Origny, owned by the states of Guernsey. And there's a paltry fewer flights and they're way more expensive. So it's a little harder to get to Guernsey by air than it is uh, Jersey, but it's certainly worth going. I, I really have to say it was a real neat eye-opener and a real different than I thought. Well, now, are there um, ferries that go to Guernsey as well? I mean, can you get there by sea? You can take a ferry. It's a long ferry, though. I think it's, it's a very long ferry ride. You can go from um, from France, from Saint-Malo. So that's a little bit shorter. But boy, some of these ferries are pretty incredible. I mean, you can see in my photographs the white caps. I mean, when I was there, I had planned to visit the island of Sark. And they said, you can't go. The ferry isn't running. And this happens <laughs> a lot. These ferries are just, you know, not running. So it, it is possible to take a ferry, but most people uh, will choose to fly. Um, however, as I mentioned, it, you really are all, you only have that one airline. Origny is the only deal. Well, you know, you bring up an interesting point about talking about Guernsey on uh, GoNomad.com. And that is that Islands, especially small islands, I mean, we think about Hawaii or whatever, but small islands like Guernsey, where you can literally walk around the island, become sort of a very, very different culture, don't they? I mean, they, they develop differently than even just an island close by. And you point that out in, in your writing at Go Nomad, but it also, it seems to me that these are these are really what make uh, these places what are what make travel worthwhile. The ability to go there and you know sit in a pub and listen to the conversation about how terrible the other islands are, <laughs> something like that. Um, and yet they have a special charm about them. And it seems to me too that I guess we have to ask the obvious question: Are there nice places to stay on Guernsey? They are really nice. I love my hotel. I stayed at a hotel called La Frigate, uh, like the bird, the frigate bird. La Frigate is a beautiful hotel, sort of up on a hill in the in the main area, St. Peterport, which is the main harbor of the of Guernsey. Beautiful views. And my, I was there. Another journalist was there at the same time as me, and she stayed at a five star. Um, the hotel called the Old Government House, which is a very fancy swank right downtown in the middle of, of the village. One of the things is you'll find is that downtown Guernsey, sometimes it's can be pretty, the traffic can be pretty bad and it's pretty congested because it's pretty small little roads. And of course, they're two way. So, so you're going on the road and all of a sudden you got to start backing up because somebody's coming right at you. It happens pretty often there that these roads that you can't believe are two roads are two, <laughs> two directions or two directions. A couple of other places I would recommend would be the Imperial Hotel, beautiful hotel, right, uh, right on the ocean. Uh, we had a meal there, which just looked like a neat place to stay. 
And uh, as I said, the La Fregette, I really enjoyed La Fregette. And the Bella Luce is another hotel where they, that's where they brew their own gin, which is neat. A couple of different places on, on the island are in the gin business, and it's quite tasty. We learned a little bit about gin when we were there. Well, of course, if the ferry stops running, you have to have gin. Exactly, and tonic. And, you know, it's all in the name of quinine. It's all because they want to be healthy. Those, oh, that, those that's soldiers right. in India, they wanted to be healthy. That's why they drank so much quinine and gin. Yeah, suppose it wasn't that the idea was it warded off malaria or something, which of course exactly. it didn't. But, well, scurvy, but it, I think that you wanted to, the first thing was limes. They wanted you to do lemons and limes for scurvy. But the quinine was had to do with India and that, that hot, hot climate. And uh, they thought a gin and tonic would, would be the tonic that you needed to survive in the colonial colonial India. Well, of course, and it was. After all, I mean, you know, the British Empire had G&T wherever they went. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You do get, a, you know, it's interesting, though, because um, I guess you'd, you'd have to, if you were visiting Guernsey, you really would need to be interested in, um, I mean, you wouldn't need to, but it would be more fun if you're interested in, in military history and if you're interested in the history of <laughs> occupied places. Because you can see, you know, you really get a good feeling for this, that they have these recreated bunkers where they've actually made it all the way it was when the Germans were there. That was kind of neat. And then there's a couple other places where you can go. One guy actually made a shrine. He he, he felt bad because so many people had died um, in this in the war and in the occupation. He made a shrine uh, uh, with shells. It was a beautiful little shrine inside one of these bunkers. But they're really a, a tourist attraction now. And they're so massive, you really can't get rid of them. You know, they're six feet thick. So uh, the one guy was supposed to be making a house out of one of the one of the um, bunkers, but little else has been really done with them. They're just hard to really get rid of or use for any reasons. Well, I can imagine probably a good place to store your money, something like that. Well, um, I, I haven't seen any bank banks yet, but that might be that might be happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, the thing that comes to me is, is Guernsey an independent country or is it related in some way politically to England? It's an independent country which is, has ties to the crown. You, you compare it the same way you'd say Bermuda. You know, Bermuda has its own government, but they're a British crown dependency so that they're a self-governing crown dependency. That would be true with um, New Zealand and that would be true with Australia and uh, Canada, Bermuda, Gibraltar, you know, they run their own country, but in the, they don't have their own defense. Like, they don't have an army. So if the if the Germans decide to occupy Guernsey again, they're going to have to call their friends in England for help because they don't really have anybody to defend anybody against. That's the only thing that's a little difficult. Well, it, it occurs to me that an island that you can walk around is may not be a big target in today's world, but you never know. You know, it, it, the other thing that I want to ask you about Guernsey is, you say the food is great and all of this. They, do they import everything, or are they able to actually be fairly self-sufficient in terms of their <laughs> produce? Well, the island's only five miles wide. Um, so, yeah, they pretty much import everything. Um, they have their own. Um, we visited um, a pig farm and they have beautiful pigs that they make uh, charcuterie with us. So there's a limited amount of charcuterie being raised on the island. There are some Guernsey cows on the island. Of course, the, oh. the legendary famous Guernsey 
cows, the brown and white cows, but no, they're definitely not depend. They're definitely dependent on everything. I mean, giant ships come in and supply them. There's, you know, uh, they have one thing that's kind of cute. They have in, um, in, um, Guernsey, they have what they call, um, I think they're called hedge, hedge ledge. They, they have a little places in the hedge where they have somebody will be selling potatoes or beets or some, and they'll just have a little, like a little store, like a little, a little self-service, uh, uh, farmer's market, you know, self-service produce. You can, uh, you, you get veg from the hedge. Veg. <laughs> I love it. You know, that... veg from the hedge and they do, they do brew quite a bit of alcohol. They have a couple of different places making gin. And we visited a wonderful place called Rocket Cider, a really delicious different varieties of cider. And it was interesting because I sat with this guy who's in his 90s, neat guy named Craig. And he said, look at our new still. And he showed me this beautiful still that looked like the still I had seen at the Bella Luce at the hotel. So there's now two stills, three stills or so making vodka, rum, and gin um, using some of the ingredients from the beach, like some of the special seaweeds and some of the lemongrass and stuff. They do really interesting stuff with gin. So cider is really a big thing. I think there's, I don't know if there's a beer brewer on the island. There may be, certainly there's pubs, but um, they're not self-sufficient, Paul. Not This is such a tiny island, uh, really five miles. That's it. Well, if you if you distill gin and uh, perhaps even a little vodka from all those potatoes, life would be pretty good no matter where you are. That's right, and you know people just love it. They have, uh, as I said, they're coming. People are moving back to Guernsey. Families are seeing their kids come back and make a, make their lives and make it make a good career with the financial stuff. And uh, you know, of course, they they obviously still need all the trades. And I was told it's one of the hardest places in the world to get a tradesman. You know, if you have somebody, if you need a plumber and you're on Guernsey, you better get ready to ransom your house for that plumber. It's going to cost <laughs> a fortune. Well, uh, are there are there expats living on Guernsey? I mean, is this the kind of a place that attracts people because of the the climate and the liberalism and whatever else, and you know, the, and, and the gin? Well, you know, I don't know the answer to that, Paul. I all the folks I met, some of them were lifetime Guernsey men. Some of them were people who had moved there. A woman I first met uh, was in, in the tourism board. She was German, and she had been living there for thirty years, but she was originally German. I don't know if that's really the case. I um I can say that for the the Azores are big on that, you know, retirement stuff. But sure. I'm not sure if I would know the answer to that. So I'm sure somebody listening can tell us if they know anybody who's retired to Guernsey, but I do not know. It may be one of those places that discourage that, you know, uh, maybe because it's expensive or, you know, whatever. Uh, there are places in the world that welcome expats and there are people, there are other places that are just sort of neutral. Uh, and yes, then, and exactly. then there are the places you wouldn't want to live. <laughs> and they want, well, like Tulsa, you know, Tulsa's giving a $10,000 reward to anybody who will be a digital nomad and live in Tulsa. So, Paul, there's your chance. You could be living hey. in Tulsa for 10000 bucks. Hey, I wonder if I could afford a house there. <laughs> I think good. I think for what you're paying for your garage, you can afford a house well, there. Well, in Southern California, yes, <laughs> I don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, people are moving out because they can't afford to live here. Uh, you know, the, the other thing that I want to ask you about this kind of a trip where you went from the world travel market to, to Guernsey, 
do you ever get the feeling you just want to stay? Stay in London or no, stay in, in Guernsey? I'm sorry. You know, I I'm funny about that, Paul. I'm I'm a I'm a kind of a seven day guy. You know, I love it when I first get there. I stay there. I see all the sights. I write. I travel. I write. I record things. I listen. I love it. And after like five days, six day, you know, I run out of laundry. I'm ready to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as long as you, as long as you can get your laundry done, you you're ready to go on to something else too. That's, That's sort of the way I feel a little bit. Like you know, I do love it. I love my travels, but I would I would be very bereft if I didn't have such a great place to come home to. So anywhere I go, I love it. I want to you know, but I don't really want to move there. I just want to visit and then come home. Well, you're probably right. I mean, I think a lot of people get into trouble. They visit place, let's say Hawaii or something, and they're staying in one of those gorgeous uh, resorts, and they think, "Wow, we could live here," you know. But then when you come back and you find the reality of finding a house and a neighborhood and a market and all those things, and a plumber, um, you say, "Yeah, maybe that wasn't such a good idea." <laughs> Yeah. Well, I always wonder about folks, friends I meet who, who are permanent travelers. I always think, boy, you know, don't you like to be home? Don't you want to settle in? Don't you want to grow a garden? Don't you want to get to know your neighbors? I mean, people I know my age and younger are just professional travelers. That does not appeal to me. I love going and coming. I like a, a traveling, going out for a week, coming back for three or four weeks, and then having another trip coming up. Like, I'm looking forward to a trip in January. I'm going to Turkey. I'm going skiing in Turkey. Now, that sounds cool to me. I mean, that's what I like. So I got something coming up. But I don't want to go that many places in December because December's holiday and cozy and Christmas time. So, you know, as travelers, you have to pick your spots. And I have found the comfort spot for me is about once a month or maybe once every other month. That gives me a nice balance of travel and then, of course, the adventure and then just being home and and planning your roots and planning your life and being with your grandkids and being with your kids. I think that's a great uh, description of the ideal life. You know, the other thing is um, you have got Go Nomad, of course. You've, you've expanded the site. It's a very, very good travel site on the web. What's, pl- what's coming up just very briefly in uh, 2019? Well, I'm sure there'll be a lot of interesting travel and continuing to, you know, I'm trying to do a little more with our podcasts and taking some of these broadcasts that we do with people like you and stuff that I interview, trying to do more with the podcast piece. I'm I'm very excited in audio and I'm excited about uh, travel audio and travel video and coming up with new ways to share content and sort of coming up with new types of content. Like, I love the idea of things that you can hear when you travel. I'd love it if people would would record more things for me to share the sounds of travel is interesting to me and obviously video is really a key and it's something that people really enjoy so we're doing a lot more with slideshows um slideshows on facebook slideshows on the web things to just showcase some of this content that we have and i guess i wouldn't say there's anything radical coming up but just hopefully more of the same but better and, and more of it well couldn't say it better myself and yes, podcasting is sort of come into its own, I think. And uh, that's that's really a very important thing. You know, uh, we'll continue to look at gonomad.com and we'll look for your next report, which will probably be on skiing in Turkey. I think that'll be great. All right, Paul. 
Thanks so much for joining us, Max, once again on Traveling. Okay, talk to you soon. Join Paul and Elizabeth at any time since each episode of Traveling is available as a podcast on iTunes, keyword on travel, and at ontravel.com. You can join the global community on Twitter and Facebook at OnTravelMedia, and you can email at traveling at ontravel.com. Your suggestions for show topics and comments are always welcome. Join us next time on the American Forces Network and at ontravel.com. I'm Fred Sater.